Well, Merry Christmas. It is good to see all of you, and uh, thank you so much for being with us uh, this afternoon, especially those of you that are in the nosebleed. We know that it's a little cramped in here, but we're so glad to have you here. Uh, Yes, I can see you, Tanya. This is what's so cool about this church is I can see the people in the back row. Uh, We're just so glad to have you here. My name's Tim, and I get the privilege of being the lead pastor here, a position I've only had for the last year and a half, actually. Uh, even though I've been uh, here at Shepherd's Gate for the last 15 years. And what I can tell you about this church is it's full of incredible people who recognize our total dependence on God, uh, that we are. We truly are just broken people uh, trying to serve Jesus Christ and his word. And so we're just glad to have you here. And if you came with a family member or a friend, or maybe you found us online, uh, it's a privilege to have you here. And especially, as John said, those of you that are watching online, especially my friend Jeff, I want to I say hi to you. I know your family's here and you weren't able to be here. So we're so glad to have you here. Uh, it's interesting that every December, if you think about this, for a whole month, we celebrate Christmas. Why don't you think about this for a moment? Billions and billions and billions, not millions, billions of people break their normal routine of just doing the day in and day out stuff that they do to pause for an entire month to decorate the inside of their home, the outside of their home. Those of you own businesses, you decorate your businesses. We go Christmas shopping. We try to get everybody the perfect gift. We stress out way more than we should. There's Christmas cookies. There's all sorts of Christmas parties, all sorts of things that we do this entire month. Think about this, one-twelfth of the entire year devoted to Christmas. When December comes, you have no choice but to recognize that December, that Christmas is here. And then there's those people that maybe you're, you're sitting next to today. And for some reason, December just isn't enough, and so they need a little bit extra time. They need more than just one month. And so what do they do? October 1st comes, and all of a sudden, they start bringing out the Christmas decorations. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Is anybody sitting next to one of those overexcited Christmas people? Go ahead. You can raise your hand. Just out the person next to you, right? (laughs) Three months. One month is not enough. They need three months to celebrate Christmas, and they just completely disregard Halloween and Thanksgiving. And some people, that's just too much, or that's not enough as well. And so someone came up with this idea that maybe we should pause sometime in the summer and celebrate Christmas. And so we call it Christmas in... Oh, all of you know this as well, huh? The only, I want you to think about this. The only holiday where everybody gathers around a poor peasant Jewish kid from the Middle East... And I bet many of you, you have nativities in your homes, you see the pictures, you watch the movies, and so often, you know, we see these images like this, right? And everything just looks so peaceful. And the reason we like Christmas is because we know the world around us is just screwed up. There's always chaos going on. And even yesterday, just the tragedy that took place overseas, the tsunami took place, and, you know, hundreds of people, innocent people lost their lives. We're reminded again, man, this world is just messed up. But yet we look at a picture like this and we take a deep breath and we go, wow, it's just so peaceful. I just want to be able to hold on to peace this Christmas. And then, you know, you get a little bit older and you kind of get settled in your ways and maybe, you know, you're settled in who you are and, you know, you, you have money, you have influence. And you begin to look at a picture like this and you go, is this even real? I mean, this thing that's been handed down to me, maybe you grew up in church, maybe you didn't, but certainly you've been exposed to some aspect of this story. And then you look at it a little bit closer and you go, wait a second, everybody in this picture has a perfect smile. And everyone has perfect clothes. 
You notice that? And everyone is just so perfect and peaceful. And of course, there would be a bull with the horns hanging over Mary and a baby in a manger, right? And Joseph isn't doing anything about it. And those of you women in the church, you, that you, those of you that have gone through childbirth, you've birthed a child, you know that if you were to give birth in a stable like that without an epidural, that's certainly how you would look <laughs> after giving birth. Where did all these animals come from? Who invited the animals? <laughs> right? He was placed in a manger, but where did they? And so it just becomes unbelievable. It's so easy to kind of put it in the make-believe category and say maybe it's just another make-believe story that just, you know, it's cute to pass on to the kids and it kind of makes us feel good during this holiday season, but is it actually really, truly real? And I know there's probably some of you in this room, maybe you came with a family member or a friend, and you say, this is why I don't believe the Christmas story. This is why I have a hard time believing in Jesus because it just all seems too far-fetched. And I want to say to you this morning, or this afternoon, I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you for being here. We recognize not, not everybody in here may believe what we believe, but this afternoon, would you just give me a chance to walk you through the scriptures, to open your mind, to see how the scriptures are actually laid out, to see if God would speak to your heart on this Christmas Eve. Because to the rescue comes two gospel writers. The Bible is divided into two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the Old Testament is full of all of these prophecies that foretell the, the coming of Jesus. And so here at Shepherd's Gate, we've been looking at these prophecies over the last month. And now in the New Testament, the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're the gospel writers. And what's so intriguing is that only two of the gospel writers actually give us the Christmas story. They actually give us the account of what took place. But I want you to see how they start their books. This is really interesting to me because Matthew is a disciple of Jesus. Matthew got to talk with Jesus. He got to watch him perform miracles. He had access to Jesus' mom. He writes his own account, and this is how he starts his book in the first chapter. He says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. He doesn't start his book, you know, saying, you know, once upon a time or in a land far, far away. He starts by writing in this way. And what's even more fascinating to me than Matthew is Luke. You see, Luke wasn't actually a disciple. Luke was a doctor. And Luke went around and he interviewed people and he did some investigative work. And I want you to see how he starts his account in Luke 1. It says this, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us just as the Christmas story was handed down to us and why we are here today, by those who from the first were what? Think about that. Luke had access to eyewitnesses. Luke had access to Matthew and some of the other disciples. Luke had access to the, to the mother of Jesus, Mary. And it says, it continues, with this in mind, since I myself, this is Luke talking, have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. Right, He's going to go back to Mary and he's going to make sure he gets the account correct. I too, in addition to Matthew, I too decided to write down an orderly account. Why am I doing this? For you. Because I want you to know. And for him, if he had kids and grandkids, he wanted them to know that they would know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So again, as we look at this, we're going to look at how God uses these men to tell these stories and they're writing them from a perspective, from a real perspective in a real time. 
And one of the things we're gonna do together, uh, this is a practice here that we have at Shepherd's Gate. We actually do this every single Sunday. Uh, we invite our church to open the Bibles. There's Bibles in the seats in front of you. If you're in the front row, they're underneath you. And we're gonna continue reading Luke's account and we're gonna watch and see how he unfolds the Christmas story for us. And so I invite you to grab one of the, the burgundy Bibles that you see right in front of you. Again, if you're in the front row, they're underneath the seat. To page 857, we're gonna read Luke chapter two uh, together. And I wanna say this, uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, on behalf of our church, one of the greatest things we can give you today is a Bible. We can be the first one to give you a Christmas present. So if you don't have a Bible, we want you to know you can take the Bible that are, that are in the seats with you home today, and don't worry, we'll get more, we'll replenish more. And so we want that to be your gift because we really believe this is the greatest gift that we can give you, that this is what can transform your life. So let's look at Luke chapter 2 together. And beginning in verse 1, and it's really fascinating what Luke does because now what you're going to see happen is he's going to take the story of Jesus, Jesus' birth, and he's going to attach it to real-life events and real-life people and real-life locations. And this is how he starts in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So I want to stop there. What is he doing? He's attaching Jesus' story, right? Luke's writing out this guy named Caesar Augustus who did incredible things for the world. In fact, some of the things that he did, we still enjoy those benefits today. During his reign, he was one of the most successful emperors of Rome. Uh, he paved tons of roads that you can still walk on to this day. There was times of incredible peace during his reign. In fact, he was one of the first ones that actually came up with an idea of a postal system where you would deliver letters and packages to people's homes. He's one of the first ones that's accredited for coming up with a police force and a fire department. The benefits that we still have today. And so you can read about this guy, Caesar Augustus. You can actually even do some research and find out about this guy, Quirinius, who was the governor of Syria as well. So you can just see how adamant Luke is that he gets the story right and then he makes sure that his audience knows for you and I as we read that, that this is an actual real account. And I know some of you, you might be saying, okay, wait a second, Pastor, that's great. So you're going to use the Bible to prove that Jesus is actually who he says that he is. Is there anything outside the Bible that proves that any of this even took place? And here's the good news. There is proof of this. In fact, you can go to Rome today. You can go to his mausoleum, Caesar Augustus' mausoleum. He has an entire thing written out of his um, 35 biggest accomplishments that he went through. And the thing that he uh, considers one of his biggest accomplishments was this uh, census. He actually did three censuses. And he was so proud of these that he put these. If you go to his gravesite, you can see these things written out, that there's actual real evidence that this took place. And let's keep reading this together. And Joseph also went up from Galilee. And just look at all the places he lists here. From the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because it was of the house and the lineage of David. Now this is what he's doing here. He's not only attaching it to a historical person and a historical place, he's now attaching it to the Old Testament. And this is what we've been looking at all month long here at Shepherd's Gate. He's attaching it so that the writers or the audience knows, hey, this is really truly an account. He is the fulfillment of Scripture. And what does it say? To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And this is the part of the story that we're most familiar with. Verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling cloths. She laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. 
And I always, you know, when I read scripture, I always try to ask questions around the text. Like, you look at Mary and Joseph, right? And you find out earlier in Luke that an angel came to Mary and said, you're going to have a baby and you're going to, you know, birth the Savior of the world. Uh, You're going to be part of this. And Joseph, you know what? You need to walk alongside Mary because what's inside of her is from God. And so here they are, these willing, humble vessels to do what God has called them to do. And they set out on this journey. They're being forced to go on this journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which was anywhere from 60 to 80 miles. And I want you to think about this. You saw that in the video with the kids, right? This was rugged terrain. I mean, this was very difficult. This wasn't flat. This wasn't like going from one end of Michigan to the other. In Israel, it's very hilly and there's mountains and they would have had to go around all of these different things. Just imagine traveling with a pregnant woman 60 to 80 miles on foot. Anyone want to sign up for that? And what I ask myself is, was it not enough of an assignment that you get to be Jesus' mom and Jesus' dad and you're responsible for protecting them? Do you really have to put something else in front of them? Couldn't you have done this census last year, God? Couldn't you have done this census when Jesus was? Why did it have to take place when she was pregnant? And we find out it had to take place so that the prophecy could be fulfilled that he was born in Bethlehem. Now, how many of you, when you think about this, all these people are going to their hometowns. There must have been all sorts of traffic jams back then uh, with the camels and everything else, right? How many of you, you've ever made the mistake of traveling at the holidays, right? Right? How many of you have done it? Thanksgiving, you go to the airport. Christmas, you go to the airport. It's nuts, right? And you've had to kind of put on a happy face, and there's Christmas trees, and usually they'll have a Santa Claus there, and everyone's just trying to be joyful, but you know deep down travelers are not joyful. Everyone's in it for themselves, and they try cutting in line, and they, you know, they try to do all this stuff, and they try to be the first for everything, get their bags in the overhead bin, all those fun things that we see when human nature actually comes out in people. And uh, one of these uh, opportunities I had to travel was uh, when I was in college. In fact, I went to school in Minneapolis, and uh, my parents were living in Arizona at the time. And my older brother and his wife were still living in Michigan. And so I wanted to come home and I wanted to spend a few days in Michigan where I was raised uh, to not only uh, connect with my friends but also connect with my brother and his wife before getting on a plane and going to their house, going home for Christmas. And so there I am at the airport and I'm there early because I'm a type A person. I have everything lined up. I have my two suitcases, right? One full of all of my clothes and my other suitcase is full of presents not only from me for my family, but full of presents from my brother and his wife on behalf of them to give to my family. And so I checked the bags. Remember back in the day when checked bags were free? Remember that? So you give the bags, and they took them, and I went in, and it begins to snow. And it begins to snow and snow and snow, and so much so that you get to the, you know, where, where your plane's supposed to be, and your plane's not there because where your plane's at, it's also snowing. And your blood pressure begins to rise. You begin to get nervous because you realize you can't get on a plane to go where you need to go until the plane that you're supposed to be on gets to where it's supposed to be. And so the other part of the story is I actually had a layover in Houston, Texas. So I had to fly to Houston, Texas first, and then from Houston I would then go on to Phoenix. So here I am in the airport, and all of a sudden the little ticker goes, and it says, oh, your your flight's going to be delayed an hour. And I began to just stress out, and I'm pacing back and forth in the airport. And then all of a sudden it clicks again and now the plane's going to be two hours late. And I began to do the math and I began to say there's no way that if the plane lands in in Houston that I'm going to be able to get on my next plane to get to Phoenix to be home for Christmas. So of course I go up to the front and I say to the lady, I say, hey, I really need your help. You really got to get me on a later flight. And she says, I'm really sorry, but that's the last flight of the night. 
And I said, man, there's gotta be something you can do. And she looked at me and she said, don't worry, these pilots are great. So often, they will just floor it up there and they will put on the afterburners and you'll get there, honey. You'll be home for Christmas, right? How many of you ever had a pilot tell you that? Come on, be honest. Don't worry, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just push the pedal. I, don't, I guess they have pedals, right? So finally, finally the plane comes from where it had been and it pulls in and they literally quickly got everybody off, got, every, got, got us all back on. We began to, we began to uh, taxi backwards uh, to go to the uh, take off and all of a sudden the pilot comes on and he says, hey folks, so glad to have you on. Sorry about the delay. We're gonna get you there as soon as possible um, but we are gonna have to de-ice before we go and it looks like right now we're about 10th in line. And you're going, oh, come on, right? Seriously, is this literally, I'm not, there's this not gonna work. So the whole time we're in the air, the whole time I'm calculating, I got spreadsheets going, I'm doing math, I'm trying to figure out, I keep hitting my call button, the stewardess are getting upset with me, I'm like, you don't understand, I do not wanna be stuck in an airport, you gotta call them and tell them to hold the plane, I'm that important, right? <laughs> I wanna be there, I wanna be there with my family. And uh, it was so awesome. The stewardess, she was such a nice lady that when we landed and we began, uh, we be- began going toward uh, to get off the plane, she got on, she got on the phone, and the overhead, and she said, hey, you know, we have a lot of people on this plane that have connecting flights, and they just want to be home for Christmas. So if Houston is your home, if you would just do us a favor, just stay in your seats and allow those that have connecting flights to get up and to get off first. We would really appreciate it. And then you hear the ding, and you're not going to believe this. Every single person stood up. (laughs) Every single person had a connecting flight. Isn't that incredible, right? No one was going to Houston. Apparently nobody flies to Houston. You just fly to Houston and go on to your next spot. And I kid you not, as soon as I got off this plane, I began to run at full force, full as fast as I humanly could to the next gate. And I'm not joking, they're literally shutting the door and I'm yelling, wait, there's one more, wait. And she goes, ah, young man, I cannot believe you made it. They were about to take off. I said, thank you so much. She scans my ticket. I literally, there's nobody even waiting. I go right on the plane. I sit down, I buckle my seat. And the stewardess come over and she goes, you don't look so well. And I'm, you know, I'm like, <gasps> like I'm literally like heaving, and I'm sweating, and I'm like, don't worry, I'll be fine. I just ran. I just like trying to explain the story, blah 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 blah. And she goes, no, I don't think I can let you on this plane. I said, no, just give me a glass of water. I promise I'll be fine. She's like, listen, we got to take off. We've already been delayed so much. Like we can't, we can't afford to do this. And she goes and she gets another stewardess, and both of them are now staring at me. And when two stewardesses are staring at you, the entire plane is staring at you. And they both decided that I shouldn't be on this plane. And so they escorted me off the plane and they sat me in the waiting area and I watched as this plane backed up and this whole medical crew, God bless you EMS people, began hooking me up to all these machines and I remember the nice gentleman down on one knee, he looked me in the eye and he said, I don't see anything wrong with you. I said, really, thanks. (laughs) Next morning, wake up, get on a plane, land in Phoenix. I go down to baggage claim, and wouldn't you know, somebody else decided to take my suitcases home with them. No luggage, no Christmas gifts, 
go through the whole scenario of having to fill out all the paperwork, everything that's going on. Finally, my parents come pick me up. We finally get to their house at my uh, younger sister and brother. They were living with my parents at the time. Uh, all these family members come. It's a huge celebration. My mom always puts on a big show. has tons of food. I mean, just great celebration. Just such a joyous time. And finally, it's time for everyone to go home, right? So everyone begins to leave, and everyone starts going to their bedrooms. And all of a sudden, it's just my mom and I in the living room. And I say to my mom, I say, which uh, bedroom do you want me to go to? And she goes, oh. And the reality of there's no bedroom, there's no room in the inn for you <laughs> began to come over me, right? <laughs> and God bless her, she went and got a pillow and a sleeping bag and she said, we have a wonderful couch, I promise. This is an incredible thing. Luckily, she didn't stick me outside, right? But I love my mom. This wasn't her fault. This was me. I should have been there the night before. I could have fought somebody for a bedroom, right? <laughs> it's just that's what happens in the holidays. So I get the pain of Mary and Joseph every Christmas. <laughs> I resonate with their journey. They're 60 to 80 miles to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. I get it when you finally get to the place. You just can't wait. You just want to unwind. And then you find out, oh, man, there's no room for you in the end. But it's a lot like life. Life's not fair. I didn't know if you knew that, but life really isn't fair. And so often we'll meet people and we'll see marriages and we'll see families and we'll say, man, why does it seem like they have it all together? Why is it their Facebook has just painted this perfect picture? They must never have marital issues. They must never have families. Nothing must never go wrong in their life. And I can tell you this, it's not true at all. Everybody has struggles, everybody has issues, everybody has heartaches, and the only reason that this family that you've created in your head looks perfect is because you don't know them. <laughs> when you get to know people and you dig a little bit deeper and you begin to find out what's underneath, you find out that everyone does struggle, everyone goes through hardships. And some of you in here, you might be looking at 2018, you might be saying to yourself, man, this has been one of the worst years of my life. I cannot wait for 2018 to be over so that I can start 2019. Tim, you don't know the struggles I've been through. You don't know the hardships that I've endured. And you're right, I don't. But I know this, so often we have that mindset and we go into a new year and then guess what? There's more issues and there's more heartaches and there's more problems waiting for us in the new year. See, here's the thing with the Christmas story. When we only stop in the manger, we only get the first couple chapters of the book. We only, beget, we only get the beginning of the story, but yet there's so much more to what God has for you and for me. In fact, as you begin to continue to read Luke's account, you find out there's a whole lot more to this Jesus than just the manger. And just a few chapters later, he actually grows to become a teenage boy. He's 12 years old. He's in the temple. And then this 12-year-old boy becomes a man. And he doesn't even start his public ministry until he's 30 years old. He doesn't start his career. Did you hear me? Until he's 30 years old. And some of you college students, you beat yourselves up because you, you had to go to college for an extra year. Stop beating yourself up. Jesus started ministry at 30, okay? And this is what's so incredible about what Jesus does. He goes to his hometown and instead of a prophecy from an angel to someone about him, he actually quotes an Old Testament passage about himself. And I want you to see this. In verse uh, 16 of chapter 4, it says, He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now think about this. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Isaiah, right? The one that's the most quoted in the New Testament. Isaiah, the guy who said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government should be upon his shoulder, they should call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
This is the same Isaiah over and over again who, who predicts all of these prophecies that Jesus fulfills. And he hand, they hand Jesus the scroll. And what does it say? It says, he says, he found the place where it is written. This wasn't the reading of the day. He purposely went and looked through all of these passages to get to Isaiah 61. And this is what he read in his own hometown on his first sermon as he's launching into full-time ministry. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Think about this. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is mind-blowing to me. This isn't somebody else prophesying about it. This is Jesus standing up and saying, it's me, I am the Savior, I'm the one that's been sent by God. In fact, I am God and I am here for you. And I am here to save you of your sins. He rolls up the scroll, he gives it back to the attendant, and he sits down. And then look what it says. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, as they should be. And when you read the account, you find out that they began talking to each other and murmuring to each other. And they're like, wait a second, this guy's crazy. We know Jesus. We knew him when he was a little boy. We knew him when he was a teenager. And we certainly know him now. There's no way that this guy's the savior of the world. So either he's crazy or he really is the son of God. And while they're murmuring, while they're saying all these things, look at what he says. Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And you know what they do? People that knew him, people that were raised with him, they knew his family. They chased him out of the synagogue. They chased him on top of a hill, and they literally tried to push him off the hill and kill him on his first day of ministry. In his first sermon, simply quoting an Old Testament passage because they considered it blasphemy that he would claim to be God. Absolutely crazy that he would do this, right? Do you know as you read Luke and as you read the other gospel accounts, he spends the rest of his time on earth being chased by people who are trying to kill him. That's actually the real story. In fact, let me give you some other aspects of the real story. Back in Matthew, Matthew talks about the wise men. And the wise men come into Jerusalem because they're looking for Jesus. They follow this star. And they get there, and there just happened to be this ruthless king named Herod. And he finds out that the wise men made this huge journey for this baby king. And he gets really upset. He gets enraged because he's insecure. And he doesn't want anybody else to be called king but him. And so he tricks the wise men and they, and they go off to this distant place uh, to, to go try to find Jesus. And this is what happens. It's crazy. He actually issues an order that all of Bethlehem and all of the surrounding areas of Bethlehem, that any boy that was two years old or younger should be put to death. And that's exactly what happened. And that's the cr- part of the Christmas story that's not that nice. It's part of the Christmas story that so often we don't want to hear, but yet it's included in scripture and it was even prophesied in the old testament that this horrible tragic thing would take place but thanks be to god an angel had come to joseph and in a dream told joseph to escape right before this took place and so joseph and mary took jesus right after he was born to egypt and they had to stay in egypt until this evil king had died and then they were able to return back to nazareth see life was not easy for mary and joseph why i don't know Just like life isn't easy for you or for me, and certainly life wasn't easy for Jesus. But again, we only get part of the story if we stop at the Christmas story. Jesus was born so that he could become a boy, to become a man, to live a perfect life, to ultimately allow people to take him captive in a garden. That he would be accused of things that he never did, 
that he would be whipped and that he'd be beaten and that his arms would be stretched out on a cross and that he would literally die for your sins and for my sins and for the sins of the world. That's how much God loves you. And God knew that he was going to have to do this before he ever created the world, before he ever put Adam and Eve in the garden, that he knew he was going to send Jesus to be born. And his mission of being born was so that he would die. And if you're here this afternoon and you're wondering, man, does my life matter? Does God really care about me? I want you to know this. God loves you. And no matter what you've been through, no matter the struggles that you faced, he died for you just as much as he died for me. And in his death, he has given us life. Through the empty tomb, you and I, this life is not that all that it is. That one day we will see Jesus, think about this, face to face in eternity where there will be perfect peace. Not just temporal peace, not just made up peace. We'll experience perfect peace with God, our Father. And maybe you've lost a loved one this last year. Maybe you're, maybe you're still grieving the loss of a loved one that you've had the last couple years. Realize that loved one through faith in Christ is with Jesus. And one day we will see them again as well. Because God is always working a greater story in our lives. And I get it because some of you might be saying, well, that's great for Jesus and glad. Obviously it makes sense. He's the son of God. He would have all these scriptures from the Old Testament to the New Testament. But what about me? Why do I matter? Why does God care about what's going on in my life? Tim, again, you don't understand what I've been through. And here's the Old Testament scripture I want you to cling to this Christmas Eve. I want you to see this. It's, it's in Psalm 139. It says this, For you, God, you created my inmost being, that you knit me together in my mother's womb, and I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Think about this. Your eyes, God, saw my unformed body. And this is the part that sometimes is so hard for us to grasp, but it's true, and we can hold to this promise today. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God knew when you were going to be born. God knew the family that you, were be, that you would be born into. God knows the struggles that you're going through, and he is going to see you through each and every phase and stage of your life. And you might be answering, well, doesn't this take away free will? This doesn't seem to make sense if God already knows what's going to happen. No, you still have a free will. And sometimes we make decisions and we have to live in the results of those decisions. And sometimes it has nothing to do with us, but somehow hardship comes into our lives. But yet God knows, because he's sovereign. God knows even what we're going to do before we do it. And it's out of love for us. And Christmas is all about God drawing us back to himself. It's about being reminded of the love and the grace and the mercy that he has for us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Not because we earn this, not because we deserve this, not because we can figure this out on our own, because God comes to us and he gives us the ability to have faith. And as we receive that faith, he is the one that implants the hope and the grace and the mercy in your life and my life. So if you're here today, listen to these words. You are loved by God. He has not given up on you and he has not done fulfilling his perfect purpose and will in your life. Everything has been orchestrated. Everything has been orchestrated for you and for me. This is the amazing love and grace of our God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this evening? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. That God, even when we screwed it up, as sin came into the world, 
that at just the right time, you sent your son, not into a world that was perfect, but into a world that, experienced, that was experiencing hardships and tragedy and just all sorts of pain. But that God, that didn't stop you from sending your son. That God, ultimately, your son would end up on a cross that with his outstretched arms that he would die for all mankind. God, we thank you for that amazing sacrifice that your son has made for us and that through faith in him, we have hope and that there's a greater purpose in all of this. God, I pray for those that are here. Maybe this has been the worst year of their life and they have, they have just faced insurmountable mountains. God, would you reassure them today that you are with them, that you are holding their hand and that you will never leave them. God, for those that have lost loved ones and this holiday season has been one of the most painful times and it's just a reminder again, God, would you just fill them with your grace and your mercy. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and maybe you feel far from God or you still feel, man, I just don't know if God wants any part of my life. Listen, God loves you. And he somehow orchestrated the events for you to be in this church on this day to hear the gospel message. And I would encourage you to open your heart to him, to whisper to him, to say, God, I don't understand it all, but God, I humble myself before you and I receive you in this incredible gift that you have for me through your son, Jesus Christ. God, we're just in awe and we're humbled and we're grateful that you allow us to live in the country that we do, to experience the freedoms that we do. God, to be able to gather around the Christmas table and enjoy food and friends and family and all of the many blessings, even exchanging gifts on your birthday. God, would you once again just fill our hearts with joy and peace, knowing that there was a greater purpose in all of this and it was the sending of your son, Jesus. God, we love you and thank you for everything that you have done for us because of him. In your name we pray, amen.